Hey, I'm Jim McGinnis, and this is Stories We Can Tell, and I am so glad you found me. Reflections on history, literature, and music, stories about individual journeys, struggles, and victories. They come in the form of essays and narratives and journal entries and readings from my favorite writers. Hemingway insisted that truth is manifested in fiction as well as fact. A figurative expression can be as powerful as a literal one. That said, I sometimes choose to use fictional characters to tell my story. There's a guy you're going to meet sooner or later, Quinn, Francis Quinn. He happens to be the main character in my book, and he's a composite of several heroes of mine glued together by my own conscience and ego. The teacher in me loves a narrative, a story. Shelby Foote believed that history is best told that way so the reader can discover the plots on his own. Well, I'm still working on my plot. After all these years, I'm still trying to find my way, but that's all right. That's okay. I think I said once that the journey is the story and the story is the trip. If I didn't, I wish I had. It was a beautiful summer afternoon. Hot and muggy, of course, but the ocean breeze blew through the truck, granting reprieve. Summer was slipping away, and most folks were glad to see it go, with hurricane threats and all. Not Quinn. He loved it. September soon would be gone, making no rustle, as Rollins would say, in its passing. Tell me about that poem you wrote, No Great Things, Jody said as they drove past Floridana through the flashing yellow light. What do you want to know, asked Quinn. Where did it come from, she asked. On some September Sunday, in a pastel dawn, he sat down in the sand, leafing through his thoughts on the measure of a man. Jody was being treated to a road trip. She was the honored guest in driving the loop. One of her favorite Quinn stories was about a ritual journey he took in the company of his two dogs, his best friends on the earth. Quinn let his mind wander back to the last trip. Sometimes the excursion had slight delays to accommodate stops. Other times it required a swim in the ocean, usually with the dogs. Some days a straight drive. Dave Matthews play and the wind rushing into the cab. Quinn thought how Crush would have been a great song in any era. He mentioned that to his dogs and neither seemed to disagree. It was about 25 miles to Orchid Island, the midpoint of the drive. His favorite part of the trip was the bridge over the inlet. Traffic was usually light and Quinn would slow to a crawl at the top of the bridge and gaze out on the ocean and then westward back at his beloved lagoon. The dogs would whine in anticipation at the side of water, hoping for a dip. As he cruised into Indian River County, the barrier island became a narrow neck of land for a stretch, barely 100 yards wide. Unfortunately, things got rather densely populated as he continued south. The word had long since gotten out about the beauty of this place, and even Disney had staked claim to resort living. Quinn wondered out loud, what part of Barrier Island do they not understand? Even after the 
hurricanes over the past decade, folks were still flocking down to the coast. It did bother him, though, that time and again his tax dollars were used to replenish the sand on the residents' oceanfront property. That didn't make sense. To Quinn, these coastal squatters had lost their frontier spirit. When he turned west and crossed the Indian River over the Wabasso Causeway, he saw a sky that was a brilliant orange. Quinn said a little prayer of thanks for the creator's handiwork. The road wound back to US-1, where he made a right and headed toward Melbourne. The last of the sun was dropping over the trees. The dogs gave up their window and curled up on the back seat. And Quinn changed the CD and let Willie Nelson sing him home. Did you ever go the other way, asked Jody. I mean, south down US-1 to Wabasso, then over to A1A. No, he replied, shaking himself in the memory. I don't believe I've ever done that. I've turned around at the inlet a couple of times, but my truck was running rough. Figured I'd rather get stranded over here than on the mainland. Jody nodded, looked around, taking in all the surroundings. Quinn drove on, thinking of no great things. He runs his fingers through his thinning hair and down the lines upon his face. Where does he fit? What is his place? Will he disappear without a trace? Did they change the name, she asked, as they pulled into Sebastian Beach Inn? I don't know, but it'll always be the SBI to me, Quinn replied with a touch of false indignation. I bet you have some stories about this place, she said, as they found a table back on the deck. Quinn smiled as he went inside the bar to order two beers. A reggae band was playing, and the dark man held a little girl as he sang. Thank you, said Jody when he returned. I'll get the next one. So, the poem. For within there lies the burning need to make a mark, the haunting drive to matter, and on this fine day all good will, all good wishes wash away. The poem was based on a lesson, one that he learned from a student. She left a Mother Teresa quote on his desk one day when he was feeling frustrated. He wrote the poem on one of those mornings when he felt so low he couldn't make it to church. But he found that quote. And his face served not to comfort him, but to beat and batter. Old Quinn's church attendance was erratic. He would go six or eight months without missing mass. Then he'd drop right off the radar. Even when he was sick, he liked going to mass to give thanks. But sometimes he paid his penance alone on boats or beaches or mountain trails. He got up and walked around, taking in the day. There used to be a submarine watchtower that stood as a landmark. It was finally gone. German subs were up and down the coast during World War II, and the citizens had shared civil defense duties all along the coast. Quinn had heard that there was a prison camp right there in Melbourne, and locals were known to bring German POWs home to do yard work. He smiled at the thought, but then the poem came back. Words reach out from memory, something Elliot wrote, of private treasons one commits for mortal needs, doing rightful deeds for wrongful reasons. I actually wrote two poems about this, he said finally. Quinn stumbled through a quote from Shane Claiborne about surrounding himself with light. There have been times when students had done that just for him. Didn't Paul say something like that in Philippians? Quinn just looked at her.
I'm surprised you let him get close, Quinn, since you held everybody else at arm's length. Not everybody, he replied. Sometimes when you bear your soul to them, they feel obliged to bear it back. Foot in the door kind of thing, huh? Well, I guess, Quinn said, sipping his beer. He spoke of the struggle to get them to think for themselves. Man, when they do, it's a bloody humbling experience. Humbling? Yeah, vulnerable, human. She sees him in everything, she claims, and admits that there are times she feels a bit of shame for trying hard to earn what he gives for free. Some of these kids, Jody, are some of the most authentic people I've known. Some wear their faith on their sleeves, not zealous passion, but something like Jefferson described, a convergence of thought and emotion, a cross between light and warmth. Oh my, Mr. Quinn, Jody fanned herself. That's pretty deep. Quinn thought back about that first encounter and how this bold young woman had sat down beside him and disrupted his afternoon. How she prodded him for answers to her questions on teaching and just about everything else. He had been looking for solitude on that bright day, but he wasn't going to get it. What made her so damn curious, so bold? He'd been around for a long time and could not recall anyone who had ever tried to peel away his layers. From the first moment she was there trying to get a glimpse beneath his veneer. The banner became conversations between student and teacher, but as time wore on, it grew less clear who was who. Literary discussions, philosophy lessons, and sober testimonials filled their talk. He had never spoken of things as he did with her, and he found himself listening more than he had done for a long, long while. Perhaps the dark-haired woman had come down the steps to learn a few things, but she had brought a whole lot with her. Their afternoons on the green bench took them to St. Augustine and Key West, Savannah and Austin and Gettysburg. They spoke of guitar players and treasure hunters and holy men. Hemingway, Faulkner, and Jim Harrison made their appearances. But the time had passed in the wink of an eye. Finds a faded, folded page, creased and crumpled, worn with age. There, scribed his verse with a fine point pen, he reads the line of a saint again. We can do no great things, only small things with great love. You want to hang out here for a while, or do you want to head on down the road, he asked. I'm in no hurry, Quinn, but whatever you want to do. They finished their beverages and headed south. Quinn made an unannounced right turn on a narrow street where he and his wife had lived for a while. What's down here, Jody asked. Oh, few memories, he replied, few memories. It was completely impractical for them to live this far south. Thirty minutes from the causeway, Jane was working at a bank in West Melbourne and Quinn was framing houses in Satellite Beach. Still, it was their place. He drove by the little house without stopping, giving it just a passing glance. It was as if by driving by, paid the necessary homage. 
Quinn turned around at the dead end and drove back toward A1A, pointing it out to Jody as they went back by. That's a cute little house, she said. How long did you live there? A little less than a year. We'd have bought the place if we could have, but the owner was holding on to it. He turned south again, passing Whitey's Bait Shop and Honest John's. Quinn wondered if his Canadian friend was playing guitar there. He'd save that adventure for another day, though. He slowed down as they crossed the Sebastian Bridge over the inlet, and Jody gazed back at the Indian River and the sandbar. The tide was coming in, and the water was a clear jade. Quinn tapped her on the shoulder and pointed east out into the ocean. She laughed with delight. Few cars were coming up behind them, so Quinn sped up, and they continued their trek down some of the narrowest stretches of the barrier island. Unfortunately, the area was inundated with luxury homes and condominiums. Call someplace paradise, sang old Quinn, the best Don Henley, and kiss it goodbye. They crossed over the Wabasso Bridge without talking much. Jody was taking in the scenery. Are you hungry, he asked, as he made a ride on US-1. A little, she replied. Good, there's a few good places over here. Quinn veered onto Indian River Drive and eased on down to Squid Lips for lunch. They found the corner table right on the water. A misting fan kept it cool when the breeze could not. He ordered a red stripe and Jody had a sweet tea. Cracked conch was on the way. You have young eyes, Quinn, she said, knocking him off balance. He stared for a moment. Yeah, young eyes and an old soul and really old knees. At that, Quinn opened up his wallet and dug out a piece of paper with the Maggie McGlone quote about old age. I carry this around. What else do you have in there, Quinn, she asked as he handed it to her. He pulled out a pink note with the Mother Teresa line neatly printed upon it. Oh my God, you actually live this life, don't you? I guess I do.